Greetings, and welcome to The Ace Case, where we make the case for the importance of addressing childhood trauma. Adverse childhood experiences have a ripple effect across society. Trauma is embedded in all of our lives, impacting our health and wellness in many ways. By having honest conversations with local community members, we hope to share stories and ideas surrounding health, wellness, resilience, and healing. Trauma is a current shaping all of our lives. If we attempt to better understand its impacts, we can become better equipped to answer what is possibly the most important question of all. How do we heal from trauma? In this podcast, we will be highlighting the work and perspectives of community members, have a few laughs, and enjoy a non-alcoholic beverage along the way. Wherever you are in your healing journey, this podcast is for you. Thank you to our talented, inspiring guests who volunteered their time to sit down for our conversation. Thank you to OVCDC and ACEs Aware for your continued support. I am your host, Luke Wilson. I'm a master's candidate in social work and am employed by the Owens Valley Career Development Center. This is the ACE case. Thank you for listening. What is good? Greetings. How are you? I hope this finds you well wherever you are in the world. I have an episode today that I am excited to put into your ears. This episode was recorded with Donald Powell. Donald is someone who works in career education. Donald is someone who's extremely well-read. He's very invested in culture, film, um, someone who's just really intelligent and enjoyable to sit down and and have a conversation with. Um, So in this conversation with Donald, you know, we talked about this idea of narrative justice, that oftentimes, specifically in indigenous communities, stories are told and the narratives are controlled by outside groups looking in rather than groups themselves being allowed or really being granted the right to express themselves how they want to express themselves. So we talked about narrative justice, and we also talked about narrative therapy, how sometimes telling and retelling and recounting traumatic events can really help to uh, work through trauma and to promote healing. So we talked about those two things and how they interact with each other. We also talked a lot about just celebrating wins of everyday people, trying to uplift stories rather than athletes or politicians, just stories of real people who are out there working hard, grinding to support the people they love and care about. And that that's something we should do a little bit more. We also talked a decent amount about this CAMTEM book by Dr. Kirshan Laura Cooper that focuses on traditional education and narrative justice. Donald is just someone who has a lot of interesting things to say and is really thoughtful. So I really hope that you benefit from what he has to say. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is The Ace Case. All right. So with me today in the booth, I have Donald Powell. Donald works uh, catty corner to me over in the Tuniwanobi <laughs> building. And Donald, someone I've wanted to have on for a while, someone who is um, very knowledgeable about literature, about culture, very plugged into the community, very passionate about helping people. Um, Donald, would you like to introduce yourself to the people? Yeah, for sure. Manahuru Tuihaga, Inanine Donald Powell, Numanu Payahunadu, Yesh Hupa Awe, Nukimadu, Inubidu Bishop Awe. Yes, New Wakati, uh, Owens Valley Career Development Center, 21 Adult Education Instructor Awe, 
Uh, Manahu, everybody. Uh, hello, my name is Donald Powell. I work for the Owens Valley Career Development Center within the Family Literacy Program at 21 Obi as the adult education instructor. That's a mouthful. <laughs> right. Manahu, thanks for coming on. I didn't know you were Hoopa. Yeah, yeah. So I'm maternally Owens Valley Paiute and paternally Hoopa. Oh, cool. Yeah. Do you make it up there much? Um, as much as I can, yeah. Cool. I mean, I'm obviously, like, I was raised on my mom's side. I'm closer, like, to my maternal side. But, yeah. you know, I definitely acknowledge my paternal side and up there. Super beautiful up there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Oh, man. All right. Well, let's get into it. Sounds good. Can you describe the experience of what it was like for you leaving here to go to college? What perspectives did you gain when you were out there that you brought home with you? Um, did it change the way that people looked at you when you returned? Did it change the way you look at people? Um, if you could just share that experience, a little bit of going off to college, that'd be great. I mean, it's crazy to think about like, I don't know, an 18 year old Don leaving, like I was a res kid, you know what I mean? I mean, obviously, I left the res. I wasn't, like, entirely sheltered. I had a—I guess I had the privilege over other people of being able to, like, travel frequently with my family, yeah. either north or south. Um, but being just dropped from California to the East Coast in general is a huge cultural shock. Yeah. Um, but coming from, like, the res or even the Owens Valley was, like, a huge—there's, like, a—I mean, like, it, it sounds kind of silly, but, like— what you don't, like, you can't, you're not in control of the things that you don't know, right? Yeah. It's like what you think of as, as the norm, you expect yeah. everyone else does that when it's like, whoa, like, res life is totally not the norm, farthest thing from it, um, you know what I mean? So it was a trip, um, and I often tell, like, any of my closest friends or family that, like, I got a formal education, but I also got educated on, like, the world, like, culturally, which was For a sure. huge part, um, which, like, that's a whole other conversation, um, but it was also hard. I think like my freshman year was one of like my hardest times of my life, like deepest, darkest times, mm. because my entire life, right, I grew up here in Bishop, and most of the people here are at least accustomed to res kids or Indians, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you don't get those questions. But like being over there in college, it was like I always constantly felt like I had to prove my I, my identity. Well, what does that sure. mean? Or like, what you know, do you live in the teepee? You know, like all of those questions wow. are like just the ignorance, and you know what I mean? So it's like... Indigenous people all know what I mean by that, but like you're kind of like a walking billboard and it becomes a lot. Yeah. Um, and then they're asking questions of like, oh, well, do you speak your language? You know, this about your culture. And it's like, well, I actually don't. So then it's like, can I consider myself totally new because I don't speak? You know what I mean? Like that whole layer. So it was hard. Uh -huh. um, and there was a part where I like I kind of like buried that part of my identity because I didn't want to. I was exhausted. You know what I mean? Um, sure. But I I'll turn that around and say that like. I don't think if I left, I wouldn't have like had that appreciation for who I am, for my elders, for the res. You know what I mean? Interesting. Kind of put it in perspective. Yeah, because at eighteen, at eighteen years old, you know, I wanted to run as far away from here as I could. You know, yeah. Like I didn't want to turn back. I never thought that I would be back so soon, um, but I'm glad that I am. And I think like part of my journey is accepting that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm here right now, and yeah. But that's really interesting. I I'm curious if there was like a specific moment where you kind of realized how different things were or if it was more just like a, just sort of a, a combination of experiences. Um, I mean, like right off the bat. Yeah. You know, right off the bat. I think like the second that I like said my goodbye to my mom, like that first night dropping me off in the dorm room was like, okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? And even like the experiences that I had with my mom, like in those initial days, because like we went over maybe like 
about a week or so before I moved in. Yeah. Just to like explore, yeah. get acquainted, like buy that kind of stuff. For sure. Um, and just that entire journey was like brand new, you know. Yeah. Um, for us, so it was right off the bat initial, um, you know. Yeah. And I think like. I'm so, I present so ambiguously, it's like kind of like a big question mark, you know what I mean? Mm. Like everybody wants to know, like, what are you? Are you Asian? Are you Hawaiian? Are, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, you're native. Like, oh, you're Cherokee or, you know, and it's yeah. like you have those funny conversations and then the, the dive, like you dive deeper and they're like, oh, you're legit. And then they're like, you know, I don't know. I yeah. thought that was really interesting that you found yourself having to explain yourself mm -hmm. to these people who in my mind are, are probably strangers. I don't know if that yeah. was the case, but... It's interesting to me that people feel really entitled to kind of ask you questions yeah. that might um, kind of question your identity. And um, that's, I, I don't want to go out too much off the rails here, but that's something I've heard from my coworkers, you know, and I've also, I've, I've seen a little bit of this in the black community too, where it's like um, the people who present more white get flack from the people who are who are darker, present uh -huh. less white. And there's kind of that uh -huh. like internal uh -huh. conflict dynamic and, like I that just, lateral violence almost. Yeah, yeah. totally. I, I think, you know, it's it's interesting that, um, you know, and, and what you said, too, about people just not even people asking all those questions that mm -hmm. you, you kind of like know are out there but didn't have to hear. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's something that I've I've heard as a theme on here as well is just like people's specifically indigenous people's experience in higher education. Um yeah, like having to really be put in a lot of these situations that are, are really difficult or awkward or where you need to explain yourself. Did you feel like you were able to, like, how was your educational experience? Were you able to find curriculum and professors that really resonated with you? Were you able to find a good social scene? Um, yeah, well, I'll speak first to, like, the educational part of, like, professors and stuff like that. I, I kind of settled, you know what I mean? There was cool. a time where I was like, okay, this is, like, I'm in the most like well so to begin with like our background like I went to a Catholic institution yeah um, which is like going into it like I laughed about it and kind of a question like what are you doing yeah um, but also like there was positivity in that I guess yeah. kind of but yeah so my professors I I was thankful enough like because it was a small private institution that like I never had a TA all my professors were like doctorates in their field and I like had a close relationship with them so it cool. was really cool to like have that like exchange of mind space. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely I face challenges, I guess, in like my, how do I say it? Like my interests or my drive. So I majored in sociology. Um, yep. And so like in my senior capstone, I wanted to kind of study like the portrayal of Native Americans in film versus like how we really are kind of, and just like start that. Um, but like, because senior capstone is like a giant peer reviewed mess of like everything, like I wasn't able to, because data didn't exist on the topics that I wanted to research. And it was like, are you kidding me? You know? And so then at that moment I was like, well, I know of so many institutions that are like filled with indigenous peoples, indigenous professors, even, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I kind of felt like damn it, why are you here, you know, sort yeah. of, but then also, like, well, maybe this is a purpose, but it, it, like, so that was senior year versus, like, you know, my first semester, like, what I went through, you know, four years, four, five years, however long that was, yeah. to, like, be faced with that again, it was, like, damn, you know, yeah. um, but it was also kind of, like, an inspiration, because, like, in so much, so many, like, educational institutions or any, like, field of study, like, Native American or others, like an asterisk, you know what I mean? Like they deem our our existence as like so little to less than 1% or whatever. So it's like, 
I mean, everyone, we see that, but it was like kind of like, damn, like I am a statistic, I'm here, you know? Um, on top of like all of the statistics that are thrown at you as an indigenous person, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, sitting in the classroom of like sociology 101 of like, okay, you know, Native American males 18 to 24 have the highest suicide rates and like they're saying, X, Y, Z is Y, and it's like, well, damn, I check all of those boxes, and you know what? I think I might be having some of those ideations. How do you do, you know what I mean? Um, It was deep. It was hard, you know what I mean? I don't mean to bring that up in this, you know, um, but it was like a part of the whole entire process, you know? Um, But positively on that, like, I was able to find, like, a group, a cohort of people who, you know, um, and I kind of just accepted their ignorance enough because they were cool enough people, you know what I mean? Where, yeah. like, they still probably don't recognize some of the things that they, yeah. like, the microaggressions that they do. For sure. Um, but I know that it's, like, not out of their own fault, you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Um, but, yeah. Wow. Sorry, but, I probably just went no, on a whole different tangent. There's so much in there <laughs> I'm interested in teasing out. And, and to me, there's a really direct correlation uh, between the narrative justice stuff I was hoping to talk to you about today. Yeah, and, for um, sure. You know, I, I know that you're someone who's really into storytelling, literature, movies, stuff like that. I'm, I'm really into, you know, all forms of storytelling as well. And, and I think, you, you know, you said it there that uh, so much of the portrayal is super deficit based. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's something that gets a lot of bandwidth. And it's not that those things aren't real. It's that I don't think they are counterbalanced or complemented with a different narrative or mm-hmm. a different story that, that's more empowering. And um you know, I have this social work mentor and she went and she combed through all these scholarly articles on different groups of indigenous people and not one of them mentioned strengths. You know, it's just, it's like problem, problem, problem. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, Dr. Laura Cooper has this quote about it that I thought really kind of related to that. Um, and she's talking about her book and she wrote this book specifically for young indigenous people to learn about how they got their strength, creativity, resilience, and foresight. And she says, sometimes we get so inundated with the current social indicators like alcoholism, suicide, dropout rates, etc., that this influences our people's identity of who we are and self-worth and how they see themselves to be able to contribute to our community. And I don't want that. I want them to know the beauty within them. None of us do anything alone. We all have the whole community and whole family behind us. Yeah, I'd just love to get your reaction to that and this concept of narrative justice that um, so often the narrative, specifically when it comes to indigenous stories, is controlled by non-indigenous people and it's from the outside looking in. Yeah, for sure. First of all, I want to say thank you for bringing this doctor into my life. You know what I mean? I didn't know of her until you mentioned her. Um, and it was kind of cool because, like, narrative injustice was a new term to me. Um, and it was very much mind-blowing. But then it was super dope because it was, like, this indigenous lady who's talking about it. You know what I mean? So it was really empowering. And, like, the little video that you sent me, like, the six minutes of her, um, I can't remember where she was speaking at that, like, was really cool. And one of the biggest takeaways that she mentioned is that idea of, like, you're never alone. You're in this together with your ancestors. That was super moving to me. Like, I, I was moved to tears when I watched it at first over in my office, and I was like, that's super powerful. Um, and I like the idea that they're trying to do it for the young people because it's so needed. Um, but I think that it, like, so often the narrative is like, well, I guess let me go back. Like, so when you're, like, growing up here and you go to college, you like, you have this, like, it's almost a toxic phrase, I think, of, like, I'll go away and do a call, do go to school, like get an education and come back and do it for your people. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, that's positive. I see the motivation in it, but I think that the weight that that carries mm. on so many of us that we don't actually talk about it is like, 
you're literally doing this for your people and you yeah. think that you like this diploma is going to be like the golden ticket to saving your people and that like it's going to be like this automatic advancement and it's mm. like it's not and then you know what i mean so then yeah. sometimes maybe you do like oh you're doing it for your people like do it with your people you know what i mean your people are going to be here to be proud of you no yeah. matter what so like do it because it's what you want to do you know that sounds um, like it could add a lot of pressure yeah like, totally feeling like everyone is yeah, yeah, yeah. waiting on you to come back with that for diploma. sure um, but what I was getting at is, like, with her message, you know what I mean, that you're not in this alone and, like, this yeah. idea from your elders is, like, if more young people took the opportunity to tap into the knowledge that's, like, sitting on their couch, sitting in there, you know what I mean, mm. sitting probably maybe even by themselves in front of a television when, like, you're down the road, you know mm. what I mean, when you can go do that. We kind of, I think, um, I mean, especially in my own community here, but I'm sure it's probably true for all over Indian country and in probably every culture, unfortunately, like, we like hold so close to people who have passed, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or you think of all of that. But I think like something that is cool about us as indigenous people is that like the message of like, as we're here on this land, like we're kind of living in the present and the past, right? Yeah. Like in this idea of stories, like, you know, yeah. if you tell those stories, you know, you kind of can get moved on from that. But like, yeah, I forgot the tangent that I was trying to go on, but like, you know what I mean? Just like, yeah. No, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. And, and, I really like what you said about like, you know, being a part of a really, you know, ha ha celebrating being a part of a community, but also your ancestry. And I think that's something that's often really not a part of the Western world. We're so uh, fixated on this concept of like rugged individualism and pulling yourself <laughs> up by your bootstraps yeah. and like I did it with no help and uh -huh. I beat all the odds like that type of mentality you know you see it so much especially in, in stories um, that kind of you know hold these values taken from the master narrative and you know I, I think about that when it's like how can you say that like you had a mom and a dad who brought you into the world like you know people mm -hmm. just to think that you do anything alone you know like I, I think that um that type of worldview is is so needed right now like just just a more relational perspective and a more um you know thinking about the past thinking about the way we're going to affect future generations thinking about the way we affect each other which i guess kind of leads me to there's I, i'm kind of of the perspective that there's all these indigenous values and not, obviously indigenous people aren't a monolithic group but there's all these values that i think could be really helpful in trying to address so many of the issues that are, are really, you know, the, the most pressing issues that are facing our, our nation today. And one of the ways I think those, those values can be promoted on a bigger scale is through storytelling. Mm -hmm. And just kind of curious to get your perspective on, like, it seems like there's more indigenous media coming out. It seems like there's more books kind of getting on the main stage. There's more like um, TV shows, movies, stuff like yeah. that. So how, how does it make you feel to see that? And um, what's, what's your hope for where people are going to take it? For sure. Um, I think any representation, positive representation is, you know, celebrated. Um, but especially to not only have like representation, but to have like writers and directors and an entire like entire indigenous people behind these things is really cool. Um, and then to see it celebrated by like the non-indigenous community is even more special, right? Because kind of like what I was talking about earlier, like in college, you know, 2009, there weren't these perspectives on like mass media in mm. everyone's, you know, accessible fingertips at their, you know, in their living rooms or that kind of thing. So yeah. it was more of like my presence was more of like a shock and awe of like 
excuse my language, what the fuck, like you, you exist, you're real. I think that was what most of that like resistance almost was of like, you know what, you know? Yeah. Um, so seeing that and having that be more apparent is beautiful. It's awesome. And I hope that if it helps even one single indigenous youth see that and know that it's positive and like, it's almost like being native is a cool thing. Like it's on trend, you know what I mean? Whereas like for me as an adolescent, I mean, it was always cool, but I thought yeah. it wasn't in the masses, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like people in Vogue aren't like trying to uh, impersonate Navajo design, you know what I mean? Like people aren't trying to support those type of things. Like, you know, beaded jewelry isn't being appropriated. It's like, you know, like yeah. it's cool. It's something that people yeah. want to be. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's a really thing and I hope it's positive. You know what I mean? Sure. Even just thinking about like N7, like the Nike campaign, everything like yeah. it's, it's in abundance. And I think it's really cool um, because it's like a message of we are here. We're not going anywhere. Mm. Um, and I think it's really inspiring that it's like youth driven. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like, I don't mean to sound like an old person because I'm not that old, but you know what I mean? Like the younger people are there driving us and it's it's inspiring yeah. to see. Um, and I hope that like the older generations are whether they're ready for it or not, it's happening and it's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I love it. Yeah, you know, so in, in your work in family literacy, do you kind mm -hmm. of work primarily with adults and some young children? Is it sort of a mixed bag or? Um, well, me specifically, uh, within the adult education component, it's adults and like parents, uh, but family literacy, we focus, you know, zero to 99 yeah. um, family literacy, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's kind of interesting because like family literacy, like we throw it around and sort of like a buzzword, like what does that mean, you know? Yeah. But like it could literally mean anything, you know? Um, and I think that's what's like really positive and kind of, what's well, a positive and kind of a negative and sort of it's like in the same, in the same aspect because like it's so broad, it can be anything, Yeah. you know what I mean? But I think most importantly, it's like looking at, our community specifically and seeing like what the needs are like what are you lacking you know what I mean and mm. that's like another interesting part about leaving is like I never actually realized how like you know as a high school graduate I considered myself a pretty literate person right like For I could sure. read I could write like yeah but like leaving it's like you kind of really are illiterate to a lot of things you know what I mean um, so in family literacy it's like teaching those things that we're not quite literate to um, and in a weird way it's kind of like trying to teach our people to assimilate to society, right? Like oh, teach, you know, because when you think about it, like the stuff that we're trying to teach are like life skills, right? Like budgeting, yeah. like writing resumes, like those type of things, like how to keep a job, how to make an appearance for mainstream society when like, you know what I mean? Like I can, yeah. I can get into a whole rabbit hole of this, yeah. but, but yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> to answer your question, family literacy, we work with, you know, zero to 99, all aspects of the family. And that's, what's really cool. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really especially cool that like OBCDC um, recently kind of realized that like our families don't just stop in like that, you know, mm -hmm. that two person family, like our families are ma'as, our families yeah. are hootsies, you know what I mean? Totally. And oftentimes those ma'as and hootsies are taking care of their grandkids. Yeah. Or what if their kids are all grown up and they can't participate, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like imagine having to tell another like, oh, you're not eligible, but you know? So it's pretty cool to see that, that change of acknowledging them in terms of um, being able to count for participation. Wow. Yeah, you know, I think so many, again, it's like, you talk, <laughs> yeah, so like, many oh, things. <laughs> I got five things I want to respond to that with. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, something you just said about the, the model of, of family and the model of child rearing being something that's not as, it's not strictly as nuclear mom and dad, you mm -hmm. know, it's, it's more of a, a community model. And, and I think that 
that has been one of the big challenges for a lot of people during COVID is, is that, you know, there's these mixed generation households mm-hmm. where you have the young kids with the older folks and the, the knowledge keepers. And, you know, also just, just that generational gap, I think it is really interesting where it's like that older generation, they didn't really grow up with cell phones. So they're mm-hmm. like a little suspicious and they <laughs> kind of struggle with them a little bit and they need to get the, the younger folks to, to help them out with. So I guess I'm just curious and like, you know, don't, don't feel the need to talk in, in massive generalizations, but like if you see themes with the people you work with, you know, what are, um, you, you kind of mentioned that you find yourself teaching certain skills. Uh-huh. Um, what, what are the things you find yourself teaching the most and you found that most people didn't get for whatever reason in their education? Dang. Um, well, I think basically like, I like first and foremost, just like the like trust or kind of, you know what I mean? That like, mm. um, like I guess a, a major theme is like distrust or like a apprehensiveness to, yeah. you know. Um, but like as a as an instructor, as an adult education instructor, especially like something that I've like learned to teach myself is that like anyone who's gonna walk through those doors and seek your services, something didn't work out, right? You know what yeah. I mean? Something, whatever that is, didn't. And it's like not for me to identify or like question. Mm-hmm. But to like notice that like something didn't happen or yeah. like something didn't click. Yeah. But right now they're seeking that. You know what I mean? Um, and in part of that is just like celebrating the you know celebrating their asking of it, but celebrating their coming back. Cool. And like for me, connecting them like, I don't know. I always joke with them like I'm just being real. Like I'm just having real talk. Like for me, like connecting with them person to person is most important. For sure. Before I even try to like tell them how to convert a fraction to a decimal or yeah. talk about you know whatever. Um, but, but yeah, so I think like a common theme, like I said, is like that distrust or just like that kind of like apprehensiveness. And I mean, I kind of, I touched on it a little bit, but I think it's just like teaching of those things of like, okay, well, this is, we live in America and this is like what mainstream society deems as the norm. Mm. And in order to like be successful, quote unquote, you know what I mean? These are the kind of steps that you, you know what I mean? Um, and I feel a little bit weird about that because it's like I'm almost like reversing or like kind of like teaching colonialism, you know? You're giving people tools for success in a system yeah. that you don't necessarily believe in. For sure, for sure. Okay. Um, but I believe 100% like that, those basic skills of like mm-hmm. having a checkbook and like knowing how to yeah. interact with people, you know, and not necessarily being so on the de- defense of someone who's not like you, Yeah. I guess, um, is teaching that. And I don't know. That That's sounds kind like of a like really overshadowed yeah. take on it. Like, <laughs> I try to be totally like yeah. so, like this person's walking in and something happened mm-hmm. and like you said it's not I'm not gonna necessarily play detective and figure out what that thing is but mm-hmm. this person has probably had a bad experience with academia to some extent. Yeah, and I wonder you know I've heard some different things and and I don't claim to have the most current research on it but are you someone who kind of believes in the idea of like multiple intelligences or that, you know, certain people are, you know, maybe might not be as good as taking tests, but they're like a genius with computers or carpentry or yeah. whatever, you know, are you someone who kind of subscribes to that. Cool. hundred um, percent. And it's funny because like oftentimes the people, the students who walk through my door, like they think they're dumb or they don't think they're smart, but like they're some of the most, the smartest people I've ever met. For sure. You know what I mean? Whether that's like emotionally intelligent, like, or in other ways, or actually literally intelligent, like they'll take these placement tests and they score like 
in the green, which is like honors, and they're like amazed. And it's like, no one has ever told them that they're smart. No one has ever told them that they have that worth. And it's like, you know, I think that's a major part of like unbreaking that because like, I mean, I'm going to get into like probably a rabbit hole here, but like there's a recent study of like, you know, that Native Americans are the second highest population to be suspended, both across the board for boys and girls, um, second to African Americans. Um, And so it's kind of interesting his mind escapes me right now, but the person who did the study, he was trying to study African-Americans' uh, suspension rates, but the data was so alarming that he couldn't ignore it. And, like, in his study, he found, like, all these kind of, like, high, you know, school suspension rates. And, like, some of the highest counties in California are two of the counties that we service, Inyo and Mono, um, and local school districts. And it was, like, it's almost, like, three to four times more than, like, the general population. But what I'm trying to get at is... As an indigenous student who is getting suspended so often and getting labeled by, you know, an institution that's supposed to be like fostering your learning and your growth, but they're telling you, you know, you're misbehaving, you're delinquent, you're kind of going to take that on and you're not going to be open to learning or like from year to year, you're going to, you know, Luke is that delinquent child from the res. So when you go from Mrs. Smith to Mrs. Jones, she's, you know, kind of that sort of. And like you get that effect. label and mm-hmm. you almost grow into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I was going to ask, sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. Like, how does that happen? You know, how does a kid move through a, a whole series of programs and not really have any strengths identified? Because, mm-hmm. like, to me, it's like, say you drop out of high school, but then you have to figure out all these incredible hustles to, to feed yourself after yeah, yeah. high school. People are going to focus on the high school dropout part, not all the crazy talent you developed and like your all the hard work you had to do to find a way like the creativity the skill the Mm -hmm. ingenuity so I think it's it's that strengths perspective again is really coming up missing but like as someone who is the product of the school system here you know what do you think a lot of these kids are missing what could they be getting to help them um, develop some more sense of self-worth as well as a sense of what their strengths are For sure. I think, you know, that book um, with that idea of, you know, like 27 authors who are elders, I think Mm. like tapping into that idea, that reminder that you come from greatness, right? Like you are great. Greatness is within you. You know what I mean? It's not something that you reach, you strive for. Like you already are there. You already are great. Um, And to have those reminders more apparent, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, And even people who might have like gone down all types of different paths, you know what I mean? We are so we're so often to put people who got the law degree on the pedestal, like they had a pretty yeah. a pretty yellow brick road paved out to them more likely than not, you know what I mean? Yeah. But what about the person who is 90 days sober and has a job and almost, you know what I mean? Those type of things, those are huge celebrations. Totally. Um, you know what I mean? Or the person who's done it even further and like turned their life around and like totally. celebrate those. Let us know yeah. that anything is possible, you know what I mean? Cool. Yeah, so I think like, you know, we mentioned the mass media. I think that's a huge thing. I think mm. even just like the representation of like, seeing people who did it you know what yeah. i mean it, it's it's like the the trend is upward um yeah. i would like to think i just think you know substance abuse and all of that is the f- the first struggle and you know yeah once that's addressed i think it'll be a yeah. trickle down effect um but in terms of the youth i think yeah just those reminders of the greatness and the resiliency you know what i mean i yeah. don't think we realize how resilient we really actually are um, and that, like, you know, we talk about generational trauma, the things that we inherit, but, like, we can inherit that resiliency. We inherit For that sure. strength, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think we talked about this, and this has been, like, one of my things lately, and, you know, it's it's a tricky thing to try to 
it's a it's a tricky subject to broach. I always feel like I need to kind of measure my words when I talk about it. <laughs> but I do think that there are certain positive outcomes that come out of trauma. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying I'm not I'm not justifying trauma in any way or colonization. I'm <laughs> not for those things. But I I do think that um, through struggle comes a lot of really incredible outcomes and results. And I mm-hmm. think that, you know, a lot of art, music, culture has been developed in response to oftentimes these really terrible things, but the, that these things are really beautiful. And mm-hmm. like I know for me, I, um, you know, I grew up very infatuated with a lot of things from black culture. And it's like, well, I couldn't identify with a lot of the trauma they're talking about, like the music yeah. and like the basketball shoes and all that. Like, <laughs> I, you know, mm-hmm. I was really drawn to that. And, and I feel really thankful to have been able to experience that. So I wonder if you have any thoughts about that, like the almost the positive outcomes that can come as a result of trauma, like sort of resilience, strengths mindset. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I like that aspect. I think it's an often overlooked or like forgotten about. Um, you know, like the positives of trauma, um, almost like that springboarding effect, like positive stress almost. I think, I mean, I believe it. I I 100% believe it. I think it's just a matter of like being unified in, Mm. you know what I mean? Like seeing together like the collective, I don't know, light at the end of the tunnel, if you will, Mm. but then like just being united like in the darkness, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like right now in this moment, like we're not fully like in the bright, but like right now if we can be together, and see that, like, even if today is 100% better than it was yesterday. Totally. Um, and recognizing that, like, I think so often we kind of, like, like to have pity parties as Indigenous people and think that, like, only me, like, only this happened to me or, mm. like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, when if we look at it as it happened to us, you know what mm. I mean? It happened to us and yeah. we, and, like, you should be inspired by your existence, you know what mm. I mean? Like, your like, I don't know, the fact that I'm having this conversation is probably, like, boiling the blood of some people, not locally, but, you know what I mean, like, just the thought that, like, an indigenous Mm. person can have this thought or that Mm. an indigenous person can be educated, you know what Mm. I mean? Um, And I think that, like, we, we, as indigenous people, we have all of that knowledge. Yeah. And I think, like, as soon as we are given the power to turn back to that knowledge, things will get a bit different, you know? For sure. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. No, I really appreciate that. Yeah, you know, and I think maybe it's a it's a false binary thing, but I think I have a lot of these false binaries where I, I bounce back and forth between like it's all bad or it's all good. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, it's it's really both at the same yeah. time. And I do think those two narratives both need to be um out there, but I just I hope that's more of a part of, you know, these conversations around trauma and, and mm-hmm. you said it the other day that there's so much dialogue around trauma and so many conversations and it can be kind of there's a lot of emotional labor that goes into it mm-hmm. so yeah you know I, I do wonder if there's a way to have those conversations in a way that doesn't always feel um so heavy and and is kind of a little bit more celebratory and a little bit more positive yeah if possible i, I don't know if it's possible but yeah i'm not sure about like the possibility but i think like first it's like i mean with anything is acceptance you know what i mean like yeah. accepting that um, I mean, obviously, like, things were done wrong to us. Yes, that's, you know, but, but just accepting that, like, it's okay to feel these things. Mm. It's okay to have those resentments, but, like, accept it, acknowledge it, you know what I mean? Accept that we've all gone through it, you know what I mean, in some way or another. But then to also accept the belief that it gets better or celebrate that, like, we were tried to be exterminated, but we didn't. We're still here. 
use that as an inspiration to resist and fight back. You know what I mean? Um, and then also, like, if you're, like, spiritually in tune, just to, you know, like, your ancestors are always with us. You know what I mean? Always, 100%. Like, you're never alone. And I, I think that's what I liked, especially um, about Dr. Larsa, Lara Cooper, yeah. like, um, Kishan and Lara Cooper. I forgot her name. Um, yeah. She, like, that idea that, you know, we're united, we're never alone, that really struck me. Like, you never are alone. We're always, you know, yeah. ancestors are always with you. Like, if you're just in tune, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, not physically, or even it could be physically, like the river, like go sit by the creek, your ancestors are right there, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and especially if you're from Paihunadu, like the, these are your people's lands, like you, you're surrounded by it all. Mm. Yeah, and, and you know, I really appreciated Dr. Laura Cooper. You know, her whole take on, on the book was also, she, she was speaking to her frustration with the conventional education system. Mm -hmm and wanting to basically create education more from a model that is, you know, is connected to her cultural values, her personal identity. And I really like the idea of doing a book with 27 different authors. Mm -hmm. You know, she's like naming out the different yeah, authors yeah, yeah. and it takes like three minutes. And yeah. She kind of uses this whole analogy of basket weaving and it's like all these different stories braided together and all these different perspectives. And it's, it's so much more of like a, you know, I don't, I don't want to say team effort because I think that's the wrong mm -hmm. word, but it's like a, it's a project that incorporates so many different perspectives and voices. And um, yeah, again, I really just appreciated her, her look at strengths and, and a different take on education. For sure. Um, and I was wondering if that's something that you try to weave into your work at Tuniwa. Yeah. Well, I mean, like if you look at like education, like the system itself and like historically, like. I mean, all systems of government or everything, like, like the root of it is mostly oppression, but specifically when you're looking at, like, the education system and, like, what it was there for, and if you, you know, like, kill the Indian, save the man, and, like, that idea of assimilation, when you think of, like, that, like, education in that way and compare it today, like, that's still sort of, like, the yeah. that those structures haven't changed. They haven't gone anywhere. Um, so when you think of it that way, it's kind of like, okay, like, you know, you, re you really got to accept that and, like, recognize that that's, like, the system that we're in. But also, I think, like, so, like, as indigenous peoples, like, our elders, our parents, our aunts, our uncles, those are our first teachers, right? Like, yeah. that's where we learn everything from. Whether, I mean, and it's not, like, sitting down in lectures of, like, okay, now this is how you do that. Yeah. It's just, like, imprinted, kind of. Totally. Um, so I think within this book, I, I keep referring, you know, these 27 people, but this idea of like learning from your elders, learning from that yeah. knowledge that's like so valuable and honored there um, needs to be, it needs to happen more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like even just the words of an elder, like the way that they say something, like your parents or your own family could tell you that, but like hearing it from an elder, it could be the same thing verbatim, it's but it carries different. so much more weight. And like if our youth recognize that like in those moments of like, whatever they may be feeling, someone around them has probably felt that too. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and just yeah. kind of opening that dialogue to have that conversation. Um, but I think, yeah, so like the idea of like modern schooling. So for me, I'm always conscious of like the educational system itself, you know what I mean? And like what historically that is. But um, I think I try to be extra conscious with my students of just like this isn't a traditional school I'm here to help you get things that'll you know advance your future and hopefully make you more solid on the path to becoming self-sufficient um, and to me that means being able to hold a job on your own not being dependent on 
any type of assistance you know what i mean yeah uh, kind of the work we do i see i mean definitely the man in some ways like we're definitely keeping ourselves down i think you know what i mean we're sort of feeding people a dependency and if we're not doing any justice of like educating them truly mm. giving them actual tangible tools that can like grow us like are we really serving anything or are we just kind of making a an addiction almost you know what i mean are we almost you know i'm gonna say that i got um, like five questions right now yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and that was something i really wanted to get your take on is um you know you kind of said it just now this idea of like a structured learning environment mm -hmm. of like you come here sit down in the classroom be quiet and you listen to one person talk which uh -huh. is like the traditional western model versus like you know traditional indigenous models probably took a lot of different and continue to take a lot of different shapes but do you think what do you think are the ways a lot of wisdom was handed down in a more um traditional setting like do you think that was just something that was a part of everyday life or do you think it was kind of like something that like there was a more organic shape to or um i mean i don't know i i mean i'm by no means an indigenous expert i mean which sounds silly because i'm indigenous like how am i not but like i'm not trying to sit here and be you know that native that indian um but i don't know yeah i was just curious about that you know is it like I was just so curious about, because this is all I know, right? Mm -hmm. I think about that all the time. Like, what is that color that I've never seen before? Or right. like, what is, what is something that I haven't experienced? You know, I, like, I, I'm trying to imagine what a fully decolonized mm -hmm. education system would look like. And, um, you know, my my guess, and this is not a super educated guess, is that it would be more self-directed and might be more like following your interests and your passions and your strengths. But yeah, yeah. you know, I like you, you alluded to it earlier, I guess. And it's just like, I don't think we can sit here and say that the school system as it stands is for everyone. I think, you know, there's no, a lot of metrics not. that show that mm -hmm. a lot of people slip through the cracks. And, you know, it's like cases of ADHD are way up. Um, discipline specifically among minorities is through mm -hmm. the roof suspension expulsion all those things and that's kind of the launching point for the you know the school to prison pipeline mm -hmm. but um I, I think a part of it is just that model of like asking kids who have a certain type of energy or a certain type of intelligence to sit still mm -hmm. and take tests and be quiet and all these things so you know I wonder if you have any ideas and again I recognize that I'm just like kind of putting you on the spot <laughs> but like you know if if Donald was like superintendent of all the schools and had some power to you know mm -hmm. reform the way education looks for kids here in the valley what what would you really like to see instituted in the schools dang um well I'm gonna go back real quick um yeah. at first be like you know like as indigenous people we um, we are an obeying people, right? So, like, and what I mean by that is, like, we follow seasons, you know what I mean? So when, like, things are getting colder, you do things to prepare for, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, so, like, in a natural order of things, I think we just sort of obeyed the rules. Like, there was law mm. and order that was just, yeah. I think, organically kept. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, a lot of that is, like, modeling, you know what I mean? Like, Like I said, like, I mean, any child's parent is their first teacher, but as indigenous people there's like so many of those role models around and i think like 
pre-colonization, you know, we were a communal people. So it yeah. just kind of organically happened and it was just kind of passed on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then also like orally, traditionally, we stories were taught orally. You know what I mean? Mm. So like when you hear something from an elder, it's like kept with such honor and knowledge you know what i mean mm. it's not like excuse me uh can i see your works cited you know like that doesn't exist um so that part you know like that idea of um just kind of going back to like the elders as the first teachers but if i were superintendent of schools um dang that would be really cool um but no i think for yeah, me um if i'm thinking specifically here locally it would be like turning education to be more exponentiary like you cool. see where we live, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can turn everything around us into a lesson. Yeah. Um, and, like, kids can learn creatively. Like, go for long walks. Go, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, obviously, first and foremost, like, get that more brown. Like, have more representation yeah. of your students there. Let them, you know. Yeah. Um, and even if it's not from here locally, like, have yeah. more diverse people expose yeah. that learning, um, you know. And yeah. obviously incorporation of like local history is super important, you know, mm. not just like, I mean, obviously the indigenous perspective, but just like the history of this space, you know what I mean? Mm. This land, you know? Yeah. Um, and if that was like in curriculum across the board, it would be such a, a different place. You know what I mean? I think, I mean, ignorance, half of ignorance is like uneducation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I kind of mentioned with like my homies from school, like I kind of let them slide because like yeah. they don't, they, it's not their fault. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, but then also I use that as like, it's not on you to also, but it's, it's also not on me to educate. Exactly. So it's kind of, for me, like I let things slide because I know like it's coming from good intention, Mm. um, versus someone who's a stranger. I'm a little bit more, Mm. you know, um, but yeah, so a superintendent of school, like just more of that type of like exploratory learning more, I don't know, maybe like in the younger years, like who cares about a test? Like maybe not administer any type of test until fifth grade and like teach you Mm. like empathy and like loving each other and you know like all of that stuff that like we need that we're missing but which should also be on top of what they're receiving at home but that's a whole nother yeah i mean but yeah that's that would be what i would try to aim for oh man and that's another one that you just hit on that like i've always been really curious about this like you know i've seen i've worked with certain kids i come from a background in education where Mm -hmm. i'm like wow this kid is really smart when it comes to, you know, math, science, STEM stuff, but like this kid lacks empathy and compassion. And and how do I teach, you know, it's so different teaching something like math with a finite result versus something that's like more of a value. Uh And I wonder if you have any thoughts about that, about like instilling values. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it begins at a young age, you know, primary, but I think... I think a lot of it is like it goes back to dignity. You know what I mean? Like if you like first and foremost like if you just honor someone's dignity for like 100% what it is and I think I guess like any conflict I guess is a result of someone feeling undignified. Whoa. You know what I mean? So like by just like giving every person that dignity 100% like yeah. Oh man, and it almost goes back to that like self-efficacy efficacy stuff we were talking about earlier of just like you know if people have that sense of self-worth but also that sense that others you know are deserving of respect Mm -hmm. wow i really like that okay so i did have a few ideas i was gonna run by you i know (laughs) i'm just throwing a lot of um it's a little bit of a variety bag but 
I, no, you're good. I hope it flows sequentially for your podcast. Oh, man, it flows in my brain, but my brain is, uh, I think I'm a little neurodivergent. Um, okay, so one of the things I was hoping to talk to you about is this idea of like the snowball or the domino effect. And we kind of talked about it earlier, you know, this idea of maybe a kid coming from a difficult environment, um, them getting labeled, and then them, you know, having this subsequent series of events that kind of keep adding stress one on top of another. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure which which term I like best. I kind of go back and forth between using the snowball effect or the domino effect. <laughs> but I think it really relates to this concept of ACEs. And, mm -hmm. you know, with, with ACEs, I think the science, it, it's really interesting seeing how, like, a lot of what's coming out of the neuroscience world and the psychology world is kind of supporting a lot of these ideas we're talking about, about um, self-efficacy, but also about like things like impulse control and, and getting in trouble. Mm -hmm. And um, so one of the things that the science is really indicating is that when we're young, our brains have a really high degree of neuroplasticity, um, specifically zero to five. That's when we're kind of, you know, developing our code book through which we interpret the world. And that's when we're learning language. That's when we're developing certain social cues. That's when our attachment to our caregivers is um, super critical. So during that period of neurodiversity, if we, of neuroplasticity, if we experience trauma, the brain is super susceptible to trauma at that point. And they found it's actually really susceptible just while you're a minor in general, uh, before you're 18. And, you know, that was kind of what led to this ACEs revelation, I guess. And, and while it, while the science was really interesting and, and pretty striking, I think that this makes sense to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, maybe before I actually keep going, I, I'd just be curious to kind of get your reaction to when you first heard about ACEs, like if you can kind of remember what your reaction was or, or what your, your thought process was when you heard about it. Yeah. Um, so I was still an undergrad. Um, I was in, I can't remember exactly which specific course, but my professor, what we were learning about, like, gave, like introduced us all and we took this, we took the test, we oh, scored ourselves, um, and we kind of sat around and like, you know, really divulged into that. Um, it was like an upper level course, so it was really cool. And I think, um, for me, and I'm sure like, I mean, it's been repeated a lot, but I think the most like solidifying and like, I guess like mind blowing part is like, obviously in that classroom, it was pretty diverse, just like at face value. Mm. Um, but like we so often as human beings don't like take into consideration, like the invisible weight that we all carry. Um, and so for me, like discussing that and like hearing like people's scores or like, like hearing their acceptance or their own self revelations, I think was powerful. And so like, I don't want to say I love ACEs because that kind of sounds weird, but I enjoy like being in spaces where other people are first introduced to it yeah. to kind of like see the gauge of like the room. Cause like, I mean, trauma doesn't see anything, you know what I mean? It sees mm. no color, it sees no yeah. socioeconomic, any yeah. we know that, but like, I think the biggest like hitting in your face of ACEs is, is that like anyone's score, regardless of who they are, you know what I mean? And then mm. also when you, okay, you accept that, but then like, you realize how important your childhood really is. You know what I mean? Um, mm. Like, it's just solidifying, like, whoa, you know? Yeah. Like, those years are more formative. Yeah, I mean, we obviously know it. There's a science, but it's like, yeah. for me, it's like, okay, dang. Super, mm -hmm. super influential. Yeah, I like what you said about the um, invisible 
you know, baggage we all carry around. And, mm-hmm. that, you know, sometimes I, I think about this with trauma-informed care. If I could just see people passing me on the street, like see that number above their head. And uh-huh. I know the number, you know, it doesn't tell the whole story, but it, it's just I think that's my favorite part about this stuff is when people kind of have that realization that these events have a direct relationship with the way I am, mm-hmm. you know, and like, you know, my story and my behavior, there's, there's a big correlation yeah. there and, and connecting those dots, I think is, is really key. And I've, I've seen it be potentially the most powerful around people who have, you know, a, a through the roof type A score uh-huh. and they're like, Oh, you even, this is why I'm sick all the time. Right. right this right, right. is why, you know, I can't keep a job. This is mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z. Um, and like I, I like that you said that because I think for me like also, well so like I said I did that in undergrad so I was probably in my early twenties, um, but I I know my ACE score I remember it and I think about it so I think for me like, in my <laughs> my journey of like healing I guess you can say is like okay, taking that score and taking in the fact of like okay like like thinking of my own childhood mm-hmm. and kind of like not replaying it but like revisiting those things and yeah. then like so like your ACE score to me is kind of like a big like key in this puzzle. Like yeah. that you're trying to solve, like in this mystery yeah. of like, what the f- happened to me? You know, excuse my language. You know what I mean? Um, so I've used it in that way to be inspired and kind of just go introspectively of like, okay, you know, my childhood this or you know my childhood that, and then it's like whoa, and then it's almost like, okay, you know, your your view on the people in your life kind of change a little bit yeah. as an adult. You know what I mean? But yeah, that's a whole yeah. different story. But yeah, um, I it can I think it should be and could be motivation to lead people to I don't know being stronger being mentally yeah yeah Yeah, you know and and I think I have a hope too that I think one of the most difficult things to navigate about having a trauma history is feeling really alone feeling Mm -hmm. really isolated but like you said you know you kind of see how common this stuff is once you really get into the numbers and realize that, like, wow, a lot of people have been through stuff like this. And uh-huh. like you said, it doesn't really know boundaries. Um, there's definitely certain relationships and higher scores among certain populations. And, you know, I think how high the A scores are in, in prisons really helps mm-hmm. demonstrate that there's this relationship between trauma and, and criminal justice. But Definitely. I digress. So there we were <laughs> with neuroplasticity. And so when this child experiences trauma at a young age, basically their toxic stress response will be activated. And that's a very old system in the body. It serves a great function when you're in like a wilderness setting, you know, you get a lot of adrenaline, rapid breathing, sweating, that type of stuff, which can be incredibly helpful in in like a survival, you know, life or death situation. But when you're trying to sit through school is is very difficult. And Mm -hmm. What happens a lot of times is this child will fall behind in school because they're focused on their survival rather than being able to access those higher functions of their brain. And then, you know, from there, they'll have difficulty learning how to read and how to play nicely with others. And then they act more impulsively, maybe more aggressive. And then alternately, they could be a little more checked out. Um, That's kind of getting into the polyvagal theory stuff. But... This child develops less social-emotional regulation and then, in turn, are more likely to develop substance abuse issues as a teen, engage in unhealthy relationships and risky behaviors, uh, more likely to have unwanted pregnancies, broken bones, failed marriages, lower levels of education, 
And then these things can in turn lead to incarceration. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's a lot of studies showing that like in incarceration, people can either develop new mental health challenges or or worsening mental health challenges. So it's just so interesting for me that this stuff actually starts so young, Mm -hmm. you know, and that it's, it's like, it's not one event. Oftentimes it's this series, it's this, you know, the dominoes just keep falling and, just curious if you have thoughts about the domino effect and that ways, you know, you can maybe shove a piece of cardboard in there and stop <laughs> the dominoes from falling. But, you know, the, the research really shows that it starts it starts early and it often starts with trauma. Yeah. I think it starts with, like, educating our clinicians, educating, like, our professionals, you know what I mean, the people who are in those fields, um, to, like, change the perspective and recognize, like, that it is a series or even just in general to recognize like how impactful it can be. Um, and then even questioning like the systems that they have in place, if those are those like re-traumatizing, you know what I mean? Um, are you using languages or things that are open and not kind of more true, you know? Um, I think it starts with like educating those professionals and then also like obviously from there, the community or the, I don't know, the patients if you will, or the consumer of like the, about aces like about those type of things you know what i mean yeah um and you know like kind of starting that conversation or just like lighting that like Mm -hmm. spark of like this exists this is like you know yeah yeah one observation of mine is like when i got this job you know i was like i have to go talk to people about what (laughs) you know and i was like I was so nervous to have these conversations with people. And and Mm -hmm. to some degree, I think I still am because it's, you know, it's asking people sometimes to consider some of the most intimate, challenging details in their life. But I've been so surprised by the reaction Mm -hmm. that people have, you know. Yeah. At first, too, and I'm still concerned about this, but I was so worried about triggering people. and, And I think there's, you know, there's potential for that. And there needs to be a lot of, you know, cautious, precautious steps taken and I'm just amazed at how many people when they kind of hear about this stuff or talk about this stuff it's um it's more of a positive reaction than Mm -hmm. I than I thought and to me that kind of links to this concept of um narrative therapy and this idea you know this this concept that you know, one of my favorite um, neuroscientists, this guy, Dr. Huberman, talks about one of the best ways to heal from trauma is narrative therapy and that mm-hmm. it's retelling your story, even if it's, you know, the hardest thing you've ever been through in your life. It's going to be really hard at first, but with each retelling, um, it gets subsequently easier. And, you know, I was thinking about it more and I was like, oh, my God, like, are all my favorite authors <laughs> basically just like committing uh-huh. narrative therapy, you know, and that's what I'm consuming when I read books. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on the idea of, of narrative therapy and the idea of um, retelling stories to try to effectively change the way you think about them and feel about them. For sure. Um, I First, I think it's really cool that you share that, like, your reactions have been positive. Um, cause like I, for the first thing that like struck my mind is like, oh, that's good. But also like there's medicine in like putting thoughts to words or like sharing things, you know what I mean? Um, and I think like a part of it is, is like there, 
I mean, obviously, like, the uneducation, like, they're not knowing of it, but there aren't people who are going around asking these questions. You know what I mean? So, like, it's, yeah, it is difficult. It's a tricky thing. But to have the opportunity to kind of, like, have your brain picked and then, Mm. like, thought and then have, like, the processes, like, kind of spill, I agree 100% that it's therapy. You know what I mean? Even just in this interview, like, of thinking things and then, like, putting it into, like, comprehensible things and then, like, I don't know. Well, my head is always like five tabs open, so I'm. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's, <laughs> yeah. it, so like, I'll say one thing. But anyways, like my point is, is that I I believe that 100. percent You know what I mean. Like the retelling or the sharing of things, um, or even like, there's like science that goes behind like when you teach something to someone, you're gonna take that back like more. Like you're more apt to remember yeah, to remember it when totally. you're telling someone that. So totally. I think like. I mean, I don't know, in some way, like, just, like, putting those words out there and saying them and, like, maybe is almost, like, a relief, like, leaving. Mm-hmm. But also, like, you hear it, you, like, interpret it, like, you're you're listening to it, you're hearing it, you're thinking it, but then you're, you know, like, all of those cognitive senses, yeah. I think, are triggered. But I think it's positive, and I think, you know, I mean, as someone, I 100% believe in therapy of all types, but, yeah. um, like, I'm not 100% sure which, like, technique it is or method, yeah. but I've been in a therapy session where, like, literally like my therapist he was just like okay well retell me you know what i mean totally i don't know if it's cbt or i don't know maybe yeah. not but just like the retelling and like the revisiting of that moment or yeah. even like going back to like it's not cbt um anyways like that like sounds thought, like it might actually be narrative therapy it may be yeah yeah i'm yeah. um, just going through talking about it and like revisiting or like telling like okay like but actually physically like trying to like put yourself in that moment like being mindful in the moment that you're talking about yeah. Um, so yeah, I believe 100% narrative therapy. Yeah, and I couldn't tell. I'm like, are my favorite novels and all my favorite music <laughs> narrative yeah. therapy? I was like, maybe, maybe I'm well going overboard. Be. But yeah. I, I do think there is a lot of value in um, in being able to reprocess these things. Mm-hmm. And you know, I guess I was hoping to dive a little bit deeper into the brain stuff. I don't want to go um, no, I too love crazy, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I I think that. Um, our brains are really fascinating mechanisms and they have so much to do with this ACEs stuff. And mm-hmm. I guess one thought before I go on to the next brain concept is um, <laughs> this idea that like, it's it's interesting to figure out where ACEs fit, right? Mm-hmm. Because all this stuff, like currently a lot of screening occurs in the medical sector, which I think that's a great opportunity to talk to people about, you know, serious issues. But so many things are compartmentalized, right? It's like you 100%. go over here for mental health, you yeah. over here for physical health, you do that over there for your spiritual health. And I think it's like, it's an interesting trying to figure out this is kind of like a holistic wellness type of issue. And where, where does it fit in? How do you approach people with this content? Because I think, you know, kind of like you're saying, I think the way it's packaged is really important and, and the way you kind of, um, yeah, the way you hand it off to people is important. Mm-hmm. Okay, going in on the brains. <laughs> Let's dive in. Um, so I like this idea of the three-part brain model. And basically, we have our survival brain. It's the closest down to our spinal cord. And that's where our most basic functions are housed. And then right above that, we have our emotional brain, where we process a lot of our feelings. And then kind of in our frontal lobe, or the outermost part of the three, we have our rational brain. And that's kind of where our decision-making hemispheres are. That's where we, um, you know, things like reason, compassion, language, like a lot of those things are happening in our, in our outer brain. Mm-hmm. 
So the brain is built bottom up throughout life. You know, you can kind of think of a kid growing up, these three essentially skills come to them over time in that same order, you know, survival, emotion, rationality. And then that's also the same way our brain evolved in evolutionary history. So uh, for a long time, you know, primitive humans, I shouldn't say primitive, early humans <laughs> just had like, you know, more, more wiring for survival. And then as our brains got bigger and bigger, you know, and we started developing complex languages and cultures and stuff like that, the brain kind of got more into that frontal lobe development. So basically when we're, our body thinks we're in a survival mode, even if we are not, you know, we activate our fight, flight, or freeze mechanisms, and those are housed way down in our survival brain. So what that means is that a lot of these hormones are secreted in our body, and this is essentially the toxic stress response, so adrenaline and cortisol, um, increased heart rate, increased respiratory rate, you know, you're hyper alert, you're ready to fight, fight or flee. And a lot of the problem related to trauma now is that people will have a reaction like they're actually in a traumatic event when it is actually long gone because your brain is still tripping those wires telling you you're in danger, you know, and especially with PTSD, maybe even years after the event and maybe with even triggers that are unbeknownst to you. And it's interesting because it's actually our body trying to help us, but it really results in our body hurting our ability mm -hmm. to um, be normal, functional members of society. So I think what's interesting is what the science is showing is that we can kind of leverage the way that the brain is structured to heal from trauma. So essentially, we can either go bottom up, which would be, you know, survival brain, emotional brain, rational brain, or we can go top down, which is rational brain, emotional brain, and survival brain. And I just wanted to explain that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So one way to do this is bottom up. And a lot of times that's through certain therapies that are more like movement based. Like I think dance is a form of that. Um, a lot of different cultures have different versions of this. But essentially it's getting your body to recognize that it's safe and then passing that message up to your rational brain. And that helps with the experience in time. And then another way to do this is to employ certain drugs. So the use of like antipsychotic drugs, anti-anxiety drugs, SSRIs, mm -hmm. um, and you know, like mood disorder drugs, things like Prozac, those are all essentially what those are doing is calming down your body to get the message to your brain that you're safe. Like pharma therapy. <laughs> totally, totally. And then the other one is the one that we were kind of talking about, which is top down. And that is using your intellectual brain, using your rational brain, using your kind of higher functions to reassign the narrative that you have with that trauma. Mm -hmm. And I just find that so interesting that it's like the brain structure mirrors the way that we treat trauma and that the two different approaches are almost exactly opposite, but can be um, equally effective. And just curious if you have thoughts on this top-down versus bottom-up idea and um, ways it might be able to be applied to things like education and things like ACEs. Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely it can be applied. I think first and foremost, like, 
I mean, as a profession, like, not that I'm a professional, but, like, as professionals in, like, the field, I think, like, so I guess if, like, we're expecting participants or, like, people to be bought into this or believe it, like, we have to have done, like, that work on ourselves. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Um, so, like, doing that work yourself, I, I 100% believe, like, the opposite way, you know what I mean? Like, top down, like, that is, yeah. you know, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I think, like, first and foremost, you have to have done that and been there for, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, if you're trying to, like, give happiness, like, and you're not happy, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, but I think I think it can work, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, just by being aware um, and then kind of, like, changing that narrative and, like, maybe... I mean, something that I try to do with my students is, like, give them more ownership to, like, the things that they that we're doing. Um, mm. You know what I mean? Whether it's, like, okay, like, I know that you are interested in going into early childhood development after this. So, you know what I mean? Like, doing those kind of things. Or, like, you yeah. tell me about, like, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think it can be. Um, yeah. I think the idea of, like, narrative therapy is super, super cool. Um, my big question to you is can we use narrative justice to accomplish narrative therapy i think so 100 uh, percent. i think you have to in order to get one you have to have the other and i would like contend that that is some <laughs> of my favorite form of art yeah you know like people who mm -hmm. really have a story that they need to tell yeah and i think it's interesting because on one hand it's therapeutic for the teller but i also think it's really therapeutic for the people who consume the art as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's crazy. At first, I didn't think that was really happening. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of unpaid parking tickets. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think that like, I think art is made, like the purpose that like behind art is to serve to make you think. So like if the art isn't making you think, then is it? What you know? is it? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think especially that, like, we, I mean, as people in general, we're, like, a communicative people, you know, like, we're social people, but mm. I think especially, like, as indigenous people, like, that's how we learn things, that's, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, legends and, like, storytelling, like, that's how, yeah. like, that's almost how, like, knowledge was kept, you mm. know? Um, and it almost is how knowledge is kept today, too, you know what I mean? I kind of mentioned, like, having, like, right now, like, we are linked, like, we're in the present and in the past, yeah. like, you know, it's almost a responsibility to like accept the greatness of your ancestors but to carry it on you know what i mean like i i never met my great grandmother like my mom's grandma but because my mom has so frequently shared like in my entire life like things about her grandma or like anecdotes or like things that she would say or yeah. even like how her smell was yeah i know that yeah. you know what i mean so like i kind of take that to heart like i don't know if i'll ever have kids or whatever but like i and like the knowledge keeper of like the things that I took from my ma, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like it's almost my responsibility to continue to talk about her and like those things for, you know, future generations. So I think that like indigenous people knew that and that was like how we were like how we instilled like traditions and knowledge to be passed on. Mm. Um, so I think by like going back to that and like revisiting it, like, I mean, there's not one res person, you know, who doesn't love to BS or like share a good yeah. story or like have that like, yeah. you know, um, I think that's just how we are. Yeah. Um, and so if we tap into, I mean, with everything, tapping into those skills that we naturally, organically have, yeah. we already have it. You know what I mean? Like, we we existed yeah. here in peace, like, since time immemorial. You know what yeah. I mean? So if we go back to what those ways were, I think yeah. the, the, the answers are there. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love it. 
Um, just a few more questions, and then I'll, I'll let you get back to it. <laughs> For sure. Um, I know I can go long on these things. Um, you got any book recommendations for people out there? <laughs> oh, man. Um, so many. Well, I guess I'll just go off what I'm currently reading. Yeah. Um, so I'm currently reading We Are the Land. Cool. Um, the authors escape me, um, but it's really like an indigenous perspective of California. Awesome. Um, and kind of like the tribal aspect of that. I recommend that for everybody. Um, I'm also reading this book called Crying in H Mart. Mm. Um, and it's um, it's about this like a, a lady who's in her 30s and she she's of Korean descent and she's like recently lost her mom. Mm. Um, and so she visits this store called H Mart and like her like processing of grief is like revisiting this Korean store. Um, I know, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, and then I'm also in the middle. I just finished, um, we did like a poet series with one of the book clubs that I run with, Lone Pine Tanif. Oh, cool. Um, and we just read Tommy Pico's Nature Poem. Nice. Um, he's an indigenous poet, so that was pretty cool. Um, and then I guess like, I could talk about books forever, but um, one of my favorite like reads of this year has been Winter Counts by yeah. David Hesco Wombly. Shout um, out Winter Counts. For sure. So I think if anyone hasn't read that. Um, and then also like The Sentence by Louise Erdrich. Cool. Um, I'm like about 70 pages into that and it's pretty cool. It's like, um, it's about a librarian who's getting haunted by a colonist. So it's like, yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say those. Sounds like you have a few tabs open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm constantly <laughs> reading. Them. Yeah, I'm that way too. Books. I got like a few going. Yeah, I try to keep like a fiction, nonfiction, and then yeah, something because totally. it's easier to. Yeah. Something that's like a little bit more just like casual, sporty yeah. reading and then yeah. the heavy. Um, they're making the Winter Counts into a series, right? Um, is that official? Uh, well, I don't. I, mean, I don't know. I don't have an inside source or anything. <laughs> I think I had heard that somewhere. Possibly. Well, um, the author actually is in the works of like selling that i think i don't know if it's official if it's a show or a series exciting well we yeah. can edit that out <laughs> no but um yeah one of the things i always like to ask people too is um you know and maybe you could also talk about this with a like a look at education a look towards education but you know what would you say to someone out there who right now who's like really struggling who's kind of going through a lot of their own trauma what would you say to them uh, like struggling in terms of trauma or sure. just struggling it could struggling. just be struggle struggle you know oh man um i would say just know that like it gets better like in no matter what it is it gets better yeah. um and i think a lot of times like it's a matter of like altering perspectives and like taking a step back but i think a huge key part sometimes that we overlook in our traumas is like what part do i personally play um, in this and like that's a hard question and like it's like you know but like sometimes I think we more often than not are playing into our own things a little bit and you know something that I've like come to appreciate in like my like later 20s and early 30s is like being mindful mm. like honestly I know that sounds cheesy and it's almost like a buzzword like it's thrown mm. around out there but like honestly just being mindful yeah. um, and you know a part of that like maybe that comes like I don't know, just being spiritually in the moment. Like right now you're, you know, take your two feet and be, you know, thankful that they're on the ground and like look for that. Or, you know what I mean? If you're outside and you see a tree or, you know, like be thankful for the rain that's rolling down this window right now. Or like, you know, um, just being mindful and in the present that like, you know, um, you at like your track record of surviving all of your bad days is 100 percent. Right. Um, so real. something like that, you know, like that, that all sounds cheesy and cliche. Um, and also remember that more likely than not, someone 
with your same circumstances is going through that or got through that and you just have to like reach out mm. i think um, yeah tap into that wisdom that's out there yeah yeah you know I, that was a revelation for me too it's like i have all these thoughts swirling through my head all the time uh-huh. and it's like wow a lot of these thoughts aren't true yeah and that's a, a big part of what mindfulness uh-huh. is for me is just letting things be what they are instead of yeah applying all my like judgments and human attachments to things and for just sure. that acceptance piece but yeah 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 donald i could talk to you all day <laughs> I, I really really appreciate you sitting down and um you know this felt like an interview that you were speaking really candidly and honestly and from the heart and i, I really appreciate that um i really want to look into some of those books you recommended <laughs> and yeah thank you so much for stopping by the booth yeah for sure thank you for inviting me i kind of felt like privileged like oh Luke sees me as someone worthy of talking to or hearing from, so thank you. Um, and your podcast is great. I listen to it all the time. No way. <laughs> I've listened the, to the first two. I'm one, one of the four. Five. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, but yeah. Thanks, Donald. For sure. Thank you to OVCDC and Aces Aware for your continued support. Big shout out to Grayson Gorse for providing the original music you heard during the introduction. You can find his tracks wherever you get your music. Thank you to our amazing, talented guests who volunteer some of their precious free time to sit down for our conversation. If you'd like to reach out or have questions about the show, please email lwilson at ovcdc.com. Thank you for listening and happy healing.